Welcome to the Dr. Pat Show. Talk radio to thrive by. Powerful, inspiring, and coming to you live, bringing you stories of people like you and me, busting through and living life full out. Get ready to dare to wonder what your life would be like if you knew you could not fail. Oh, my goodness. Welcome, everyone. Welcome to the Dr. Pat Show. This is Talk Radio to Thrive By. Thriving is what we are all about. I have to tell you, this has been one of the most incredible, incredible weeks. So many of you have shared with us how absolutely encouraged you are from some of the programming we've been doing. And I want to tell you, it is because of you that we're able to do what we do. So I want to thank you all so much for letting us know your thoughts, for opening up your heart, and for clearing out your minds, because we are barely warming up here for 2010. Our theme for this year is 2010, yes, thriving again in 2010, and every single guest we bring on, everything we talk about is in the spirit of doing that with all of you. Tonight, get ready for a great show. I am so thrilled to have Stuart Pierce joining us here today. We're going to be talking about his book, The Alchemy of Voice, Transform and Enrich Your Life Through the Power of Your Voice. Let me just check in a little bit to tell you about who he is and what he's doing. Well, you're going to find out for yourself where he was born and what he's doing, but beyond all of that, you know, he's been trained as an actor, teacher, worked in theater, and began to become a voice coach in 1980. But more importantly, talks to all of us about the power of our voice, what that truly means, and how each of us can become this inspirational force as he guides his students to experience their true creative potential. Today, we're going to get to tap in what that alchemy of voice is all about. I'm looking forward to a fabulous show. I can't wait to hear what he has to say about my voice, maybe even Don's voice, because Don's in the background there, or some of the other people. Who are some of these people that have a great voice? And by the way, who is the voice or who is the person behind one of the most famous voices of all time in terms of our pop culture, Darth Vader. So fasten your seatbelts, everyone. We have got a great show for you today. Stuart, thank you so much for joining us. Welcome to the Dr. Pat Show. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. It's great to have you here. I want to talk a little bit about the, the, your work and, and your book, but I want to talk about this idea of voice. I think so often we've heard about vibration, we've heard about energies, and I wanted to ask you, um, what is it about voice, the voice that each and every one of us has, that's so unique and yet can be so special? Well, the, the, of course, it, the, the very uniqueness of our voice makes it so special, doesn't it? Because It really does. You know, wherever we go on our planet, there is a belief that the whole of creation came about through sound. Okay, so that's referring to the external model of the nature of the universe and the way that the universe came into creation. 
But actually, deep within our own personal universe, deep within our own body, there is a note that is unique to each and every one of us, which can enable us to establish what our identity is. And I believe that that's quintessentially what we're referring to when we refer to somebody's voice as being so special, if indeed it is special. You know, did you know that you have a did you know that you have a note in your body that each of us has a note that is unique to us it's something i call our signature note i had no idea and i wanted to ask you about that because uh you know i read in your book what your signature note was all about but i think it's mm -hmm. so important to share that with our listeners because uh, you know it really means much more in the way you describe it in the book than i think one would kind of take from the surface of looking at that you know, tell us a little bit about that, because you also talk about the dynamic energy of the voice. Um, you mean in the writing of the book I talk about? Yes. It? Yeah. Uh, well, because dynamic energy really means the living movement of sound, doesn't it, or the living movement of our voice in this particular context. Um, yeah, so if I can put it into some form of uh, context of where I'm coming from, we uh, we have um, seldom a belief that sound is at the core of creation, even though we know from a scientific point of view, there exists the notion of the Big Bang rather mm -hmm. than the Big Silence. So there we are 13.7 million years ago, and something extraordinary took place, a point of fusion within the cosmos, which apparently created a big sound. Now, the extraordinary thing is that at the very moment of our own delivery, at the moment of our own awakening to this thing that we call life, the moment of our own birth, for those of us who were, were, were as it were, ably born, through the process of just slipping out of our mother's birth canal, that most of us were actually taken into a context of just simply breathing in and making a sound, the great roar of life. So at the very beginning of our existence on this planet, there is the notion that sound is very significant. And wherever we go in relation to our world cultures, whether we're dealing with so-called organized civilization or moving into indigenous tribes, there is a belief that all of this came about through sound. So if I may share with you a very quick story about an African tribe that I um, heard about many years ago. Uh, this, this is uh, in the situation of a woman who is about to give birth to a child. The child is imminent, so her sisters take her into the bush, and they wait until they hear the note of the child, and then they sing the note of the child to the pregnant mama. The child then moves within mama's belly. So automatically we see a point of recognition. Then her sisters with, with the, un, with the uh, pregnant mother take her back into the village community. And when she is about to for bring forth a child, they come around in a circle, her sisters primarily, and then the rest of the community, and they sing the note of the child. So the child is actually welcomed by its own note as it comes into the world. As the child grows into the first rite of passage, the community come and they sing the note of the child. So the child's vibration is reinforced by the note of its own creation. As the child grows and then marries to somebody else, then the community comes, and both notes are actually sung in a ritualistic order to those two people so that they are united together, but in a celebration of their own unique identity and sound. And then whatever the next rite of passage may be, the same thing happens, until that person eventually passes into this substance we call death, when the community come and they sing the note of that individual. And then one final stage is that if that individual commits a misdemeanor, the person is put in the center of the circle, 
and their note is sung back to them to remind them of who they truly are rather than whom they have become. Isn't that amazing? I think it's absolutely it's fascinating to me. And, and as we move forward, it's so interesting that we now are moving in, Stuart, to such a highly technical uh, generation of children. And I really think back on the times that you just talked about. Indigenous people still absolutely believe in sound and vibration. And yet it seems like we're moving further and further away from the power that we have in voice. And I wanted to ask you about that. Or am I confusing technology uh, in, in a sense with what early civilizations kind of were fearful of that might happen? Well, absolutely. I mean, I believe the first thing that has actually taken place by the production of technology is mm-hmm. the substance of noise. I speak of noise rather than sound. The noise mm. of the machines, or indeed yeah. the noise of our own personal doing, 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 doing in our daily lives, so that we become involved in a frenzy of doing to such a degree that we have to do what we're supposed to be doing because everybody else is saying we have to do what we're supposed to be doing, and we forget that we're human beings. So there's a tremendous amount of noise that goes on in our heads that in the East, for example, is referred to monkey chatter, which often disturbs our consciousness. Whereas if when we go back into, let's say we go back 400 years ago to the Elizabethan period, which was evidently a, a time of great renaissance, and it's a period that I have particular love and specialism for, having been master voice at Shakespeare's Globe for 10 years when we first opened the project. And so we see a huge explosion of, of human sound onto the world stage through the form of literature that, for example, Master Shakespeare brought forth. And there was a belief at that time that all speech was decorated silence. Now, where do we go today to really feel silence and to not be competing with the noise that is around us? So I think partly that's what you're, you know, in, in terms of my, my reference or my contextualizing, when you speak of the way that technology has interfered with our voices, that we're always fighting against the other noise in our lives. And so what starts to happen is that we start to speak very fast and we live in our heads and automatically we move into a cerebral form of communication about our lives as opposed to really being in our bodies and communicating something much richer, much deeper about the quality of our hearts. Mm. And, and that, you know, at that it, time, yes. Uh-huh. Well, I, I love I what you're more? talking about. Because one of the things I'm really struck by is it's almost as if we're starting to sound like our text messages may sound. If you get what I'm trying to say. Absolutely. Absolutely. So we're becoming very abbreviated in our speaking. We're, we're, We're using the sound bite, which is a small clump of sense that is also traveling on a very reduced breath. Because we know something very remarkable about our peoples on this planet and that is that every single language arises out of the consciousness of the individual. So, for example, every single language that we speak, we always have enough breath for the thoughts that we speak. Mm. Now, if we look at the sort of patterns of exchange that we're dealing with today, the thoughts are very short chunks and the breath is very short. We know this because when we look at literature, suddenly the thoughts become longer and longer and longer 
further back we go. So that when we arise, for example, at that huge explosion of the English language 400 years ago, we realize that Shakespeare's thoughts are at least four or five times longer than the thoughts that we use. So we're speeding up, Dr. Pat. Well, one of the things that I, I was really struck by, Stuart, and, and I know that you mentioned this in your book, um, several years ago, one of the first people that I was so wanting to interview, and, and she was on my list of people that I just, I had to meet her. I had to find out what this woman was about. And that is someone that you've actually worked with, Anita Roddick. And mm. I was so struck after only, right, being able to see what she stood for, what she created, and then went on to be an advocate for saving, you know, this planet and the water on it. But I was really struck by how she came to radio, was on my show, and the power of her voice and the power of her message. And so here's this body of work that she has put forth, of course, creator of the body shop and so forth. But then here's this woman that presented herself so wonderfully and so powerfully. And there was such an incredible matchup. And I wanted to ask you about this because so often we see people in power that are so well matched with how they sound. But yet for the rest of us, it's almost as if we seem untrained. How do we stand in the power of the voice that we were meant to have? Sorry, could you repeat that? How do we... Yes, how do we stand in the, in, in the power of the voice that we were meant to have? Um, well, when, when we look into the people, that you, the, the people that you're referring to, and indeed the individual that you've just mentioned, if we look at contemporaneous individuals and some of the great American people that are around, like Barack Obama, I mean, does Barack Obama have a voice or does he not have a voice? When oh Barack goodness. speaks, we all listen. Now, I believe, you see, what these people that we're referring to, whether it's Anita or um, Barak or some of the other great American peoples or indeed some of the great peoples of Europe, that when they have a voice that resonates through the whole of their being, it means that they're feeling through the whole of their being and thinking through the whole of their being. So they are enriched by the process of what their living is about. And they believe passionately in what they're communicating to the world. Now, if we put this into the context of our historic perspective as human beings on this planet, in, in ancient times, there was a belief that sound was at the core of creation. And this they rationalized in the word persona. Persona, of course, is the word that we use to describe the essence of the quality of somebody. We normally say that they have personality, so we add on another syllable, or another two syllables. But actually, persona means per through sona sound. So when we talk about somebody's personality and we encapture the whole essence of their being, we're really talking about their sound. So hundreds and hundreds and thousands of years ago, people worked on their voices because they knew that they were an emanation of a divine principle within communicated through a physiological vibration. Our voice is a purely physical means that we use to communicate the way that we think and where we feel. But when we actually are aware of their key in our lives, 
and that they do have a signature sound, that we automatically move into persona. Isn't that extraordinary? Whereas today, we don't. No. We don't tune into our voices. Mm. Um, so uh, this is one of the major reasons, of course, why I bring forth this work at this time, you know, because this is a body of work that I've accumulated over the last 40, 45 years, that I wish all of us to understand that sound is a vital force within our lives, and that if we don't take respect or have love for it, if we don't look into the inspirational and the eloquent aspect of it, automatically we close off something that is generically very powerful and important within our lives. We literally close off the song lines of our ancestors. You know, one of the things, um, Stuart, that I, I wanted to ask you about is to be able to find that signature voice, to be able to find that place within ourselves where we can we can get that sense of the empowerment that you and I, I believe, are talking about right now. And in yes. the book, you talk about finding your signature note. And I wanted to ask you about this because so often we hear people say, oh, I don't have a good voice. I can't speak. Um, no one will ever listen to me. And I wanted to ask you because so often we find people that truly have something important to say but are really mm. afraid to say it. Mm. Mm. So isn't that, isn't that interesting about us? Yeah. If we take the context of that statement into the phenomenon of public speaking, one of the things that I've done for a number of years is to work with CEOs and politicians and state people to pre help them prepare for that very unique substance of <laughs> public speaking. And do you, do you, I'm sure you know, Dr. Pat, that the majority of people around the English-speaking um, English world have challenge with public speaking. And in fact, most people are more terrified of public speaking than they are dying. Mm -hmm. Oh, there's no question and about so, it. Yeah, and so automatically what we're doing in our minds as we hear that is to tune into the emotional body. Mm. And it is the emotional body that often becomes diseased, disharmonic, or in short, poisoned by what we then refer to as being a lack of confidence or a lack of, of personal power. And of course, there are, you know, there are many references that we can bring to this from our lives, are there not? For example, the very first time that we got up in school, those of us that can remember that, to speak out loud, and we knew there had been some form of preparation for that moment because we'd learned how to read. And we knew that we were relatively confident, confident about standing up and reading. And as we did that, suddenly a whole group of people behind us made a sound which was a, you know, what we could call a ridiculing sound. And something deep inside us, including our throat, closed up. And as a result of that, we're still, as we grow and we learn and we experience life, we still carry that intense feeling within our bodies so that when we move into a public situation where we then have to formally present ourselves, we recreate the same fear as opposed to moving abundantly and full of the joy and awe of the inner child in its play. So part of the journey that I, um, that I move through with, with, with individuals is to use sound as a healing modality, to encourage them to really understand where those aspects of themselves are closed off or indeed held, but don't allow them to be the magnificent, courageous, beautiful beings that we in potential are. I think it, so what are, you do... 
I'm sorry, Stuart. What you do is so powerful. And the reason that I love having you on the show tonight, and there are a lot of reasons for those of you that are just tuning in, uh, I want to introduce you to Stuart Pierce joining me here today on the Dr. Pat Show. But more importantly, I want to introduce you to, you know, what he is sharing with us in his book, The Alchemy of Voice. Uh, transform and enrich your life through the power of your voice. This is such an important conversation to me, Stuart, and I'll just share this with you. You know, I grew up as one of these children. I grew up in New York City, and uh, I stuttered for a, a very long time as a young child. And, 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 and honestly, people that know me can't even believe that I do what I do today. And so this is a very important conversation to me because I think in so many ways our young, our youth, are stuttering, maybe not physically or noticeably, but are really stuttering in a way to truly have their voice being heard. And I wanted to ask you how what you've been able to share in your book might help both our young and, 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 and their parents. Yes, because it, it's a wonderful question and it has many, many different answers, doesn't it? Um, yes. it? Well, firstly, if we can actually just simply comprehend that lying within our being, those of us that are able um, to use our voices, that we have the most powerful instrument, the most powerful substance, sensation, and way of revealing the totality of our, pe- our person to the world, then automatically we begin to touch into the magic of it. Then all we need to do is to really find a group of people who honor that within us and give us the space and give us the time to be able to express the way we think and the way we feel in liberation and in freedom. And that is going to be one of the major um, turning points in anybody's life because so often... We're condoning our own behavior. We're forming or reforming our own behavior to make sure that whatever we do and say is applicable to others as opposed to really forming the substance of our essence, our persona, into the way that we express ourselves in the world. You know, that we're constantly being the people that other people want us to be rather than being whom we truly are. Once we find our note, we find the very core of our beings. So therefore, we find our personal power or, as I refer to it, as being our sovereignty from an archetypal mm. point of view. So mm. if we can actually you know, look into the inspiration of those people who have great voices and who speak freely and in a very char- emotionally charged way about what they're experiencing in their life, if we can go to, the, to great literature that was written for great voices to be spoken, if we can then charge ourselves by reading out loud either something that we've written or something that a great writer has written. Um, go, go to the great poets and really hear the substance of what they're trying to communicate to the world that we can feel automatically was written to be spoken. It wasn't written to be read in our heads. It was written to be breathed and limber-lipped and fully-lunged out of us. Uh, you know, what I was reminded of in the moment when you were asking me, Dr. Pat, is the great poem of Walt Whitman, which is all about vocalism, one of your great countrymen. And when, mm-hmm. when, when Walt spoke about the whole nature 
of the way that we use our voices. He really asked us to use the whole of our lives to communicate the substance of what our sound was all about. And if I may, I have, I just, as I was thinking about it, just opened up my computer where there is a copy of this exquisite poem, which is called Vocalism. And I'd just like to share with you just a line or two. I would love for you to do that. Please, please do. Vocalism, measure, concentration, determination, and the divine power to speak words. Are you full-lunged and limber-lipped from long trial, from vigorous practice, from physique, Do you move in those broad lands, as broad as they? Come duly to the power, the divine power, to speak words. Now, where do we find that power? We find that power through understanding, comprehending, fully living, fully breathing, fully feeling our lives, and then finding people who will honor us in the sharing of the content of what that process is all about as we open our mouths and speak or sing. Now, if we're in context, socially or professionally, where Mm -hmm. we are not with those people, I ask everybody to really acknowledge why that is so and to try and find some way of being able to reinvent, reform that situation by leaving wherever they are where their voices are not being heard and going into situations where their voices truly are heard. Well, what is so fascinating about listening to you and also um, being made aware of what our true potential might be, especially through sound, especially through our voice, what I'm really struck by, and I alluded to this earlier, was, is, and is the fact that some of our greatest villains, especially what we've learned from theater and from movie, and especially now in our pop culture, some of our greatest villains are known for the depth and the breadth of their voices. And one of the, p- the folks I mentioned, of course, through the voice of J- James Earl Jones, is Darth Vader. And, and, and so the question I want to ask you is, you know, for so many people, they associate certain kinds of good versus evil, weak versus strong, uh, energetic and light-hearted versus deep and intense through voice. And I wanted to ask you, how does that not only affect how we show up in this life, but how does it affect whether or not we can truly shape how we are projected from the way that our voice is heard? Wow, what an amazing question. (laughs) Um, Well, of course, whether we are of the light or of the dark, the interesting thing is it is not necessarily that if we are of the dark, we use a certain voice, and if we are of the light, we use a certain voice. It's to do with the degree of the myriad resonance that we utter as we speak or sing into the world, and then the way that people choose to hear it now. I believe fundamentally that if words arise from the heart, they will enter the heart. Mm. If words arise from the tongue alone, they will not pass beyond the ears. So really what we're talking about in terms of our qualification of those people that we listen to who matter in our lives, if they are arising using sound that is to do with manipulation, we automatically need to be aware of that. 
Now, if we wish to lose our own personal power in the force of that manipulation, automatically whatever they're saying is a sort of magic weaving that carries us away so that we don't actually stand in the uniqueness of our own sovereignty. Whereas if we can stand in the uniqueness of our own sovereignty by knowing our nodes and really qualifying if somebody is coming from a pace of lightness or darkness, automatically we become aware of the very quality of what their heart or what their substance is offering us. Mm. So that's the key, I believe, so that we become the spiritually discerning people that we can become by really listening not to the intellectual content alone of what somebody's saying, but of really where they're coming from. Now, for example, if we use a sound image in our heads, it's interesting I say a sound image because I, I tend to see sound something that I, I've done since childhood and since that I see sound as energy, so literally I see it as well as hear it, that if we, if we refer to one of the greatest villains of modern history, and probably people are automatically, gymnastically going into who would that be, and if I pick a name like Adolf Hitler, mm-hmm. that the sort of quality that, of sound that he had was evidently a vibrational match for the way that the people of the Weimar, the way the people of Germany were feeling at that time, it was a very high-pitched, shouting sound that had a tremendous tempo to it. Now, he seemed to be able to entrain thousands of people. He seemed to be able to master, through his sound, thousands of people who were whipped up into the frenzy of the hysteria that was taking place at that time. So we, we're talking about pure vibration, that he was actually, through his sound, able to mirror the quantity or the collective sound that was taking place in those people and indeed introduce it to them. As we hear it now, we find it offensive in history. We put it into its context. When you begin to listen to what he was actually saying, he was obviously dealing with something that was vital to those people at that time because of their severe economic suppression, that actually there was a tremendous depression taking place, as we know, um, in that particular part of the world, but then leaked into the collective societies of our planet, uh, particularly when we think of the Great Depression in the 30s in the United States of America. People were losing their voices because they weren't able to speak their minds. They weren't able to speak the heart content of the way that they were feeling about this terrible situation that they were in. However, so if we can become discerning about the way that we listen to the quality of vibration as well as the content, we can become very aware of if somebody is speaking truth or speaking untruth, somebody is bullshitting or not. And it's something that all human beings have the ability to do. I mean, for example, we go back into the historic context of our voices vis-a-vis persona, that we know that there is this phrase persona grata and persona non grata. Now, if you're persona grata, it means that you have the freedom to speak with the sound of your own voice. You have the freedom to share with a majority of people the, 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 the substance of your, um, either your flesh or of your soul or your heart. If you're persona non grata, it means that you've lost the right to speak. Your voice has been taken from you by an authority. That could be your master or it could be a group of people. And so if we, if we can actually reclaim our voices at this time of huge personal evolution, 
as we go into these great transformative processes, no matter if there is economic hardship, no matter if there is societal change that is bewildering, no matter if our planet is actually going through the changes that it's going through that are often quite devastating to behold, if we can really sit in the middle of our own conviction and begin to speak with the earnestness of our hearts, what we're feeling about our own world, not in any situation of blame, just simply commenting on the quality of our own lives, I believe we move back into an exchange from the heart which our peoples on this planet formally exchange through, the language of the heart, where suddenly we become inclusively involved in each other's lives rather than competing against one another for the dividends of exclusivity. Mm. Does that does that sound rational? Is that well put together? Because I hope it was. Well, I'll, I'll tell you. For me, Stuart, uh, you know, it is so well put together because it really brings it, it really brings for me the macro and the micro together. Because what mm-hmm. I hear you saying and 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 saying in a number of different ways, not just in this show tonight, but in the book as well, is there are a number of qualities of being right now. And what I mean by that is how we show up every day, whether we're showing up uh, and t- picking our children up from school or we're going into a job or we're meeting somebody on the street. But there is a way that we get to show up and be. And, and yet we live in a world of contradictions where our technology and our cell phones and the way we communicate almost moves us away from actually having a voice i mean you and i both know that we happen to be doing this show tonight we're actually talking with each other and it's almost like speaking has become a novelty now but what you're saying makes perfect sense to me because what i really hear is this is a call to action there's a true sense of authenticity that we have the option of becoming and I think what you've pointed out in your book and what you're talking about today is the choice is really ours as to whether or not we want to learn and be able to to show our true nature, our persona, our voice, and show up authentically or not. Absolutely. Beautifully, beautifully said. Thank you so much. Because the key endeavor today is to really find the substance, the fiber, and the quintessence of our authenticity in this world, as you quite beautifully picture it and uh, place it, illustrate it, that we're living in a world of such divergent, divergent change. But the extraordinary paradox is that in the middle of all of this myriad diversity, that we're being asked to solid to move into the very solidarity of our own purpose and work out who we are in our quality, what is the highest choice about our authenticity rather than what is the lowest choice. And we see that with so many of our brothers and sisters, there is a choice of the lowest choice, which is not the noble choice. It's the choice we're asking people to make, which is the highest choice about the best quality of existence. And this, of course, is always an expression of truth. And we're living, therefore, in an age that is rife with transparency, 
we will see that the agency of transparency will move deep within the personal and the public sense of our beings on this planet. And we're already beginning to see it, are we not? Because those who are held in positions of power who are ultimately corrupt are actually being outed. If we can live our lives knowing ourselves through this quality of resonant truth, if we can really honor the validity of each moment in the nowness of now, the way that here in this moment I could either create my life or I could uncreate, destroy my life by going against that that is most important to me and that that is most important to the whole substance of the collective of Homo sapien on our planet. I think that's what's so crucial, so that emotionally and physically and mentally and spiritually we choose to use our voices to communicate our truth without using any degree of surfeit, of becoming really economic and concise about those things that move us deeply and speak about them, not through any fear, not through any anger, although those, those emotions are very important and need to be honored and expressed, but how we can do it in a very cogent way in relation to our fellow human beings, then we begin to truly find what is remarkable about ourselves through our voices. You know, within our voice lies the whole blueprint of our humanity. And this is the song of our soul, because when we find our note, we find the song of that soul. And this is what all ancient peoples were trying to do in civilized communities, as well as in indigenous tribes. If we turn to some of the great wisdom keepers of today, if we go to the indigenous people, they are all proclaiming this, saying, come on, wake up. There is ecological disaster going on in the planet because you are actually not tilling and tendering the extraordinary garden deep within the being of your own person. Come back, as Gandhi said, be the change you want to be. It's not about changing the outside. It's about changing the inside. And if we can do this by becoming truthful and authentic and real with the heart, the great organ of truth, we begin to speak our integrity that automatically encourages others to become more integrated. So we begin to live better lives. And suddenly miracles start play taking place without us as well as within us. Because the ecology, which is only an outer manifestation of an inner reality, begins to find its way of rebalancing in response to the resonance or vibration of our own purity. Wow, uh, this is uh, this is absolutely incredible, Stuart. I mean, I want to make sure that everyone knows that um, Stuart Pierce is my very special guest uh, tonight on the Dr. Pat Show, and uh, this and much more uh, is found in his incredible book, The Alchemy of Voice, and transform and enrich your life through the power of your voice. Stuart, can we take a moment so that folks can find out more about you and the book. Would you would you please give them your website? Absolutely, yes. I mean, there there are there are two websites, in fact, and there is the website that is very much about my public persona of the work that I do within the business community and with statespeople, and that is www.stuartpierce.com, and Stuart is spelled S-T-E-W-A-R-T, and Pierce is P-E-A-R-C-E, so that's www.stuartpierce.com 
And then the website, which has been formed for this wonderful book, uh, which is www.thealchemyofvoice.com. Um, and I, I work in two ways. I work in a very, in a, in a very exoteric way, working, training people, whether they be actors or politicians or CEOs or managers, to be able to effectively communicate themselves uh, by using something I refer to as being the magnetic voice, the authentic voice, so that all peoples rec- uh, can really respond to the essence of what they are saying with as much truth and as much joy and as much abundance as possible. And then the other side of my work, which moves more into the esoteric, is by recognizing that that I have always seen the world as a multidimensional space and that that the world is uh, full and alive, is animated with a richness of substance that allows us to understand more about some of the former things that I was sharing with Dr. Pat to do with the nature of sound being at the very core of the universe and how we've always known this. I mean, for example, if we tune into the Judeo-Christian model and we hear, and God said, let there be light, and there was light, obviously this is what we refer to in the scientific model as being the Big Bang. Then we go forward into the fourth gospel in the New Testament, which says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, full of grace and truth. Now, the interesting thing about that statement is that I... I learned many, many years ago from an Aramaic scholar who had read a piece of papyrus from the period where these great statements were first formulated. And I'm going back into the origins of Christianity, so we're going back two and a half thousand years ago. And he had been studying the manuscripts that came out of the Dead Sea area, where Jesus and many of the important people of that time lived, and, of course, we know that Jesus was part of a community called the Essene Brotherhood, uh, out of which so many of these vital pieces of papyrus had uh, had arisen. This was the discovery of the Dead Sea Scrolls. And he was one of the world's leading Aramaic scholars, this gentleman. And he said to me that one day he was reading a scroll, and he saw, in the beginning was sound, and the sound was made flesh, and dwelt among us full of grace and truth. So the word... The reference to the word is the Greek notion of the logos. And the logos means the intelligibility of the sound, which, of course, is the word. Because when we communicate to one another, we're using sound, but we're using cogent sound, which becomes word and makes sense. That a tree is a tree is a tree is a tree. It's not a blade of grass. A blade of grass is a blade of grass. Dr. Pat is Dr. Pat. It's not Dr. Georgina. It's Dr. Pat. And Stuart is Stuart. And um, I think your technician, your engineer is called Tom. So Tom is Tom and not Dan or Peter or George. So we begin to name things. Isn't that fascinating? In the beginning was sound. I love, course, I the, love the, that we notice this. I mean, I love that we're paying attention to this. Because I think you really, Stuart, you, are, you also addressed this, and, and, and I, we, we haven't talked about it. I mean, my gosh, I, we should have scheduled this for several hours. But you talk about words, and words are organic, you say. And, yes. and I yes. so loved you know, hearing what you had to say about this. And I really think that perhaps that's what you're talking about right now. And yet our interpretation of some of what we now know and call knowledge has not been so organic. I don't know. What do you absolutely. think? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah I, I, absolutely, absolutely. Well, it's largely to do with the way that 
clever thought, that intellectual thought arising out of the abundant nature of academia has formulated our minds into certain contexts so that we become so rigidly contained that all we actually have is um, within, within our, uh, our very being, within, if you like, the Corpus Colossum, we have a library of information which is nothing about regurgitating fact. We all know this through the notion, the archetype of the absent-minded professor, that he or she has a wellspring of information stored within their consciousness, particularly within their intellect, but they can't fry an egg. <laughs> um, <laughs> certainly they can't do with it sunny side up. In other words, they find the practical nature of being in their bodies challenging. If we have a Renaissance intellect, somebody who is not just simply thinking great thoughts that have been stimulated by the other great minds that that, that that thinking process has been informed by, but also has original process as it begins to communicate itself into the world. If that great thinker is then really a great feeler, is being deep within their body and deep within their sound, which incidentally I believe we can feel through the speaking of the great Mr. Obama, whom I love to call Om Bama, Om Bama, because Om is the sound in the East that we're really speaking of. The great mystery is involved within that sound, within that vibration. So as we listen to him, we begin to realize that the whole of his voice has been formulated through the thinking and feeling of his existence, where we get to a point of transformative change. In other words, every time we hear the quality of Mr. Obama's voice, we are changed. Something is quickened within us that reminds us of the verities and the essence of our lives, not the rhetoric of competition and the rhetoric of exclusivity as we argue with one another. We go deep into remembering the eternal compasses of our existence. And as a result of that, we are changed. We are, we are quickened. We are hastened into action because we want to follow the truth and the inspiration of what he or other people like him are really saying. So deep within our voices, there is something which is deeply alchemical. And if for some reason we are not sharing what the true purpose of our lives are all about, we can use the substance of alchemy, which is the transmutation of one energy into another. Now, why would we wish to change joy? Joy is a very high vibration, and we know that it's deeply infectious and brings about harmony and further joy in our lives. So the alchemy that I'm really speaking about is how we can deduce, how we can define, how we can really see those elements of our lives that are inappropriate or negative or disempowered choosings so that we can turn despair into hope and anger into freedom and hatred into love. That's the true alchemy that I'm speaking of. Because we all know that we've met people in our lives whose voices have been contorted into not expressing their truth not as a result of what they're experiencing in the present moment, but as a result of the fact that they're constantly regurgitating a script or regurgitating a hatred deep inside that was first formulated 10, 20, 30, 40, or 50 years ago in the history of their, of their living. So the book is a way of being able to understand how we can define those elements in our lives 
that we can refer to as being negative, i.e. those things that hold us in bondage, those things that make us hostage to our ego rather than being hosts to the creative principle, which some of us call God, that if we can define all of the negative states and see a way of the fact that nothing is singular, everything is plural, see a way of being able to transform the negative into positive, we automatically liberate the substance, not just of our voices, but of the whole inner way that we reckon our lives as we live at this time of great transformation. So you can hear that my clarion call <laughs> is to beseech people to reach out for the inquiry that is put forward in the alchemy of voice of being able to change what our lives are all about. And, of course, I speak this with the experience of working with dispossessed people, not just simply working with very successful people, in the sense of the fact that um, uh, I, I have been frequently taken into social groups where people have lost their voices, particularly in low socioeconomic groupings within metropolitan communities, like this great city of London that I'm speaking from, and of actually working with those people in their disenfranchisement, in their challenge to find their voices and to open up something very powerful within them so that they can begin to express themselves with cogency, not just with anger, not just simply with the hatred that they feel because they're suppressed, but with the true jubilation and magnificence and joy of what they have able to achieve in their lives, having transformed or transmuted the darker presence of, of the um, anger or the frustration or whatever they feel. And then, indeed, I've often been asked to work with people in prisons who are also being held and contorted by the grievances that they're being, um, that they, you know, that their sentences are all about, and how that often restricts their voices so that they become very restricted from a physical point of view, and they can hardly open their mouths to speak. And then when they begin to find their voices and they're breathing fully through their beings and they express the way that they are feeling about their lives, they automatically experience powerful healing. Uh, Stuart, I want to ask you along uh, along those same lines. I mean, I'm I'm really struck by uh, the work that you're doing, and certainly struck by you know having every day to you know search and seek out my own voice. But I'm also struck by watching uh, what is happening in the evolution of women on this planet as well. And how would you define the, the, let's just call it the shift or the transmutation of women as we know them today versus women as we maybe have known them 80 years ago? Mm. I, which, which is something that I serve and honor in such an extraordinary way, meaning the emancipation of the feminine archetype, particularly in her divine form, the way that you, you, you have something very remarkable within you, which we men have, but in a very different way. So it's the question of really seeing how uh, women's voices are being liberated, are being emancipated, are being revolutionized into the courage of their own conviction so that they can actually step forward using positive models of whatever has gone on before, whether it be other empowered women or indeed those men who have been empowered that have cared about the divine female principle, of stepping forward and really sh sharing with, the, uh, with, with, with all of us the wisdom and the tenacity of what has taken place within the reckoning of the individual that actually allows them to speak about what they truly believe in. This is happening more and more and more, isn't it? 
Whereas, unfortunately, when we look back into the patriarchalism of bygone societies, we see that the masculine control of men has shut uh, wonderful women from speaking. Mm. So mm. now what we're seeing is this huge, I mean, I'm speaking about it in very broad and very general terms, but this amazing emancipation of each person stepping forward in the promulgation of their note so that they reveal their sovereignty, that each woman is able to reveal her sovereignty to the world. You know, I'm very stirred whenever I listen to Marianne Williamson speak, because when Marianne speaks, she literally, through her warrior tenacity, rather like that, that also was accompanying Anita Roddick, that they step forward and they say very powerful things about what they're seeing and feeling and thinking about their lives and how they can draw all of us forward, but particularly their sisters. So for those people who are unfamiliar with Marianne Williamson, just tune into her website, and you can hear some of the great recordings of her speaking in Grace Cathedral to the women of America, and how she stirs us to reckon the force of love in our lives at this time, and how when we're living that love, how when we're brimming that love, we become a huge force for change then our voices are truly liberated. So how much do we love? And how much mm. are we actually contorted within the conviction of unlove? So you and show us something, you wonderful women. You show us men something mm. which is extraordinary. The tenderness and the sternness of your love, your undying, completely enduring love. And that, I think, is very remarkable because we men can be very quixotic. We change very easily from one thing to another. But if we can really be stirred by that, then we join together. Sorry, I interrupted you. Uh, no, I, I, I absolutely love what you're saying because, you know, it really is now this place based on, of course, the message in your book and the work that you do. It really is really a place for the rise of the next level of consciousness at so many different platforms and levels. And I think also that's part of what we're talking about here today. You know, we're talking about both the esoteric and the physical, and we're talking about, you know, things that probably we can see when we show up in persona, but then we're talking about things that you, we can't see necessarily, but maybe intuitively feel and know. And so I want to thank you so much for joining us here today and would love to ask you what your personal message is for all of us today. What would you like to leave us with here tonight, Stuart? And thank you so much for joining me tonight. Oh, bless you, bless you, bless you. It's been such an amazing opportunity to speak. Um, and surprisingly, here I am sitting at 3 o'clock in the morning in London speaking to you, <laughs> and I'm stirred so deeply by our conversation, so thank you. And to, to finalize by answering your question, um, I believe that there is something very simple that is, being, that is burgeoning deep within the wisdom of our souls at this time, human beings living on this planet, that we're recognizing that actually our lives are all about feeling good. And when I say feeling good, I don't mean feeling good by reaching for the next cigarette or drinking the next glass of whiskey or suddenly engaging in an activity in our lives that somehow addictively makes us feel good. I mean that our lives are brimming, or lives rather, are brimming with love and joy. And when we do this, we become truly great people. If we can sound this love and joy through the very core of our voices, we awaken to a magnificence 
which means that we understand the true secret of the great sound, and thence we know the mystery of the universe. Mm. Thank you, Stuart, for joining me here today. This is really wonderful. And I love your book. I love your message. And in such a short period of time, I can tell you it has helped me enormously. Thank you so much for all that you do and all that you are. Thank you so much indeed for all that you do and for engaging me in this wonderful way. I've enjoyed our interview so much. Much love to you. Much love to you as well. And to all of you out there listening to the show today, there is something, something that we've talked about tonight that is here for just about everyone. And the work of Stuart Pierce really stands upon the next level of what all of us are seeking out within ourselves, in our communities, our world, globally and beyond. And that is that place of, of empowerment and feeling enormous contribution for our lives, how we live our lives, how we treat each other, and how we stand true to who we are. I want to thank you all for tuning in uh, to the Dr. Pat Show each and every day that you do, all your support, your love, and your ongoing presence. And I'm renewed to know that we are all here together. And as Stuart has said, transmutation may be the ultimate journey that we take together. Until next time, remember, live life full out. We'll see you next time on the Dr. Pat Show. Are you concerned about a specific health issue? Do you want to know what causes it? Are you ready to tap into the inner wisdom of your body and listen to what it is telling you? It's a scientific fact that your health condition present circumstance, and excess weight are not the result of your diet, exercise regime, or genetic makeup. Your thoughts, feelings, and emotions all directly and specifically influence all your body functions, including heart rate, digestion, and organs. Anger is stored in the liver, resentment is stored in the gallbladder, and lack of support shows up in your back. Our bodies give us clues to how we have been thinking, feeling, and acting. Dr. Cal specializes in interpreting these clues ignites your inner healer, and guides you step-by-step to continuous, positive, and lasting health changes. When you change your mind, you change your life. Get in your driver's seat today. Visit AskDrKel.com. That's A-S-K-D-R-K-E-L.com.